Sorry. Today is going to encourage someone. It's going to cause someone to overcome and cause someone to win. Come on, give them a hand. Good morning, Living Hope. My name is Brandon Byers. Uh, I was saved when I was about seven years old. And I went to the altar about every other week to repent because I thought I was a terrible child. I joined the ar- uh, excuse me. I stopped going to church when I was 17. I joined the army when I was 19, where I didn't go to church until I was about 27. At that time, it was just on the holidays. I, I used a lot of excuses to stay home on Sunday mornings. It wasn't until me, the wife, and the kids were stationed in Virginia. I was about 32, and I finally started back to church. Thank God he doesn't give up on us. I've had a lot of names over the years, such as son, father, husband, brother, and sergeant. I've been a drug addict and an alcoholic. I served in the Army for 21 years, where I was deployed for three times, once to Iraq and two times to Afghanistan. In June of 2006, my patrol hit an IED. That's when my drug addiction started. On September 21st, 2011, my wife, Heather Lynn, decided she was going to leave me. I've been diagnosed with severe PTSD. I have panic attacks, and it's impossible for for me to go to Walmart. I tell you all this to say that none of this is my identity. This is just stuff that's happened to me in life. My identity is a child of God. The last time that I gave my testimony was about three years ago. Pastor David asked me to get up here and... Hello? Okay. (laughs) I talked a lot more about the bad stuff that I did and that had happened to me than the good stuff. Uh, And I ended with 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, where it talks about finishing the race in such a way to win a prize that lasts, that lasts. Don't get me wrong, I, I want to hear well done when this body's finished. But uh, I'm running the race right now, just like all of y'all are. And there's so much power in the blood that he's forgiven me for all the stuff that I've done. Before coming to Living Hope, I thought I was doing good as a Christian. I was trying my best to be nice, trying my best to not sin, and trying my best to be close to Jesus and trying what I thought was is actually being a Christian. It was all about works. I was so wrong. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were off, <coughs> excuse me, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by Jesus' blood. He gives me, he has given me opportunity after opportunity to have a little bit of heaven here on earth. I truly have a relationship with my father. My wife, my kids, and my, my, my mother, and my sister, and my whole family, they have a relationship with Christ. That never happened before. I got here. I've been blessed to lead Transformational Discipleship 1, 2, and 3. I have been through Nobleman. I've, I have, I'm going to the Wholeheart Advance. 
I have so many friends that love Christ, so many blessings, and they, are, they continue daily. I am not the same. My chains are broken. I've been set free. I am a child of God. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Amen. All right, children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit. Rest of you take out your notes and your Bibles. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Today our theme is there is power in the blood. And we're going to learn eight ways today in which there is power in the blood. There's about 30 actually, but I'm only going to do eight today. And we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 1 because that's kind of our launching pad. We've been in a, a series on the book of 1 John. And so I'm just going to use this one verse out of 1 John, but then we're going to kind of go more into a topical message today. Eight ways in which there is power in the blood of Jesus. And when we speak about the blood of Jesus, we're talking about his death, but also his resurrection. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are going to bring those around, and that's yours to keep if you need one. 1 John chapter 1. All right, let's stand together. Just one verse today. 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, say blood of Jesus. His son, say his son, cleanses us, say cleanses us, from all sin, say from all sin. God, we thank you and we praise you for this powerful word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the word and the spirit. We pray that the word of God, the living, active Word of God would pierce between the division of soul and spirit today. We pray that it would bring new life to those who are not saved, healing to those who are hurting, that it would bring deliverance and freedom to those who are under demonic control and oppression. We pray that it would bring growth to all believers and that your name would be glorified. So Holy Spirit, we say speak to our hearts, change our lives. Lord, I ask that you would do a work today that would only be explained by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that verse in Corinthians where Paul said that his preaching was not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit's power, that our faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we sit now under your awesome anointed word. Change us for your glory. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be such transformation in this place today and those watching online that we would look back on today, years from now, and say, my life was changed that very day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Did you know that from one drop of human blood, they can determine up to 1,000 viruses in your body? They can actually trace any virus that you've ever had in your life. There are over 62 different tests that can be done from one drop of blood. They can determine, of course, our cholesterol, whether you have heart disease, whether you have hypertension, whether you need more iron, there are so many things that come from just one drop of human blood. Leviticus 17.11 is so true. There is life in the blood. But I submit to you today that far better than what can be determined by our blood, there is greater power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are going to learn eight ways today in which there's power in the blood. The first is this. The blood of Jesus demonstrates the love of God. In Romans 5 and verse 8, if you want to turn to that. Matter of fact, I'm choosing not to put any verses on the screen today because I want you to turn in your Bibles. 
Have your Bibles, bring your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to these verses so that you're learning and seeing firsthand the Word of God. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says that God shows us His love. Some translations say demonstrates. Aren't you glad today that God is not a big talk, no-do God? You, I've known people in my life that are big talk, no-do. They drive me crazy. They'll say they're going to do one thing, they make all these promises, but then they don't show up, and they're not a person of their word. Praise God, God does what he says he will do. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together and then he go to the cross. He died for you just because of who he is and because we need him. Now, at our Good Friday service, we had a medical description of the crucifixion read gruesome hard to even listen to in stomach and i often have people ask me why did jesus death have to be so bloody so gruesome could not have god done it some other way well absolutely he could have done it some other way but i believe his death was so gruesome and so bloody because our sin is so serious before a holy god but also it is so gruesome and so bloody because it shows there is no link god's not willing to go to show you his love you want to know how much God loves you? Just look right here. You want to know how much God loves you? Just look right here. This is the extent that he was willing to go to show you his great love. One of the biggest things that people struggle with today, believers and unbelievers, is really accepting the love of God. God loves you with an everlasting love. And his love is not one that that is because you do anything or because you don't do anything. He loves you because he's a God of love and he loves you right where you're at today. And some of you today, this may be the very thing that you most need to take away from this service is you need to be willing to receive the love of God. The love of God right where you're at. That you don't have to get your act together before he loves you. He loves you as much as he will ever love you. And the greatest way that he demonstrated his love was what Jesus did on the cross, shedding his precious blood for you. In John 15 and 13, it says, Greater love hath no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Isn't that astounding? That the God of the universe would call you his friend. That shows relationship. That shows intimacy. That shows communion. You know, one of, the, one of the verses that I love about that, that represents salvation so well to me is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. When Jesus speaks and he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And then what does it say? I will, the old King James says, sup, S-U-P, which we get the word supper. In other words, he comes in in order to have relationship with you. He doesn't come in and then say, okay, now start doing all this religious stuff. No, he comes in and he says, let's just sit down together and let's have a meal together. I want you to know me. I want to get to know you better. Let's have fellowship together. And he knocks. He doesn't barge in. Praise God, he's a gentleman. You know, if God forced himself on you, that's called abuse. But he knocks. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. Now, some of us, we crowd our lives with so many voices and so many activities that we don't hear the voice of God. And he's knocking. He's a gentleman. He's waiting for you to open the door. And when you open the door, then you begin to experience his love. You begin to experience his life. You begin to experience his power. It's called relationship. 
There's power in the blood to demonstrate his love. Second is that the blood of Jesus seals the new covenant. Now this concept may be new to some of you. And listen carefully because this is very powerful truth from God's word. Turn to Luke chapter 22 verse 20. Luke chapter 22 verse 20 is the record of the Last Supper. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's having the Last Supper with his disciples. He's communicating with them what he's about to do. And in Luke 22 verse 20 he says something very profound. And I'm going to bring some of the Old Testament imagery into this so that you understand it more fully. But in Luke 22 verse 20 it says, And likewise the cup after they had eaten, he said this, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. Say new covenant. In my blood. What is he talking about? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you learn that God is a God of covenant. Covenant is an agreement between two or more persons. Some covenants are unconditional and some are conditional. Some are conditional upon you doing something. Others are unconditional, saying God's going to do it whether you do anything or not. For example, in Genesis chapter 9, God made a covenant with Noah. This was unconditional. He said, I'll never flood the earth again. Had nothing to do with what Noah would do. God says, I will never flood the earth again. It's unconditional. The covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, it was very interesting what God did in Genesis 15 when he made covenant with Abraham. There's a phrase in the Old Testament. It's called cut covenant. The way two people would, would, uh, would come to an agreement when they would make a covenant together in the Old Testament is that they would cut an animal in two. And they would lay the, the two carcasses of the animal side by side. And the, the two, two people, people that were entering into a covenant would go between those two pieces of the animal. Basically, they were making an agreement saying they happened to me what happened to that animal if not a great covenant. By the way, you may not know this, but that's why in a wedding ceremony, you walk, you have the groom's side and the bride's side, the couple comes in the middle, and it's symbolic of cutting marriage covenant. They are making an agreement. And they should be saying, if they're doing it biblically, may death come to me should I break covenant. It's an agreement. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, when God made covenant with Abraham to make him the father of many nations, it says that God himself passed between the two pieces of the animal. In other words, God was saying... This is so certain to happen. May death occur to me, God, should I break covenant. Well, that'll never happen. God was saying, this is so certain to happen. You can lay your claim on it that I'm going to make you, Abraham, the father of many nations. And that's why God called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you and I are in that lineage today because we come from that lineage in the Old Testament. God made covenant with David. He said, through your seed, I'm going to bring the Messiah. And Jesus Christ was born through the lineage of King David. Then you have the new covenant prophesied in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. And that is what Jesus is referring to here. This was the new covenant that was prophesied. It said that there's coming a day when I'm going to give you a new covenant 
It is going to be a better covenant. It's going to be better because it's going to be sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And this covenant is a salvation covenant. And Hebrews says it is better because it's no longer the blood of an animal. It's the blood of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. It's a better covenant because it's not just going to take away the sins that you committed the previous year. And they repeat it every year on the Day of Atonement. It's going to be a better covenant because it's going to be once and for all. It's going to be better because it's going to cleanse you not only of surface level sins, but it says it will give you a clear conscience. It's a better covenant because now the God of the universe comes to literally live and reside inside of you because he gives you a new heart and a new spirit and the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in the heart of every person who receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's a better covenant because it's an eternal covenant. It's a covenant that lasts forever and God guarantees that he will never break covenant with you and he seals that covenant in the blood of his son. Hallelujah for that new covenant. Third, there's power in the blood because it's only the blood that can cleanse us of all our sins. We read that in 1 John 1, 7. Did you notice that it said all sin? Aren't you glad today that there is no sin stronger than the blood of Jesus? I've had many people come to me for counseling. Buddy, I'm sure you hear this a lot. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Pastor, I'm so ashamed of these things I've done. I feel horrible. There's no way that God could forgive me for that. And then you take them to a verse like 1 John 1, 7, and it says the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Folks, the good news today is that God is willing and able to forgive any and all sin. Paul killed Christians and became one of the greatest Christians ever. <laughs> David committed adultery and murder, and yet God forgave him, and he was called a man after God's own heart. There's no sin bigger or stronger than the blood of Jesus. I love those commercials where they'll be advertising a, a laundry detergent. <laughs> and, and, and they'll show that this, they'll get a shirt, like a white t-shirt, and they'll put mustard on it, and they'll cram some grease on there. And I mean, they just stain that shirt as bad as it could be stained. And then they'll show that with this detergent, look at that, it doesn't cleanse it perfectly. But then with this superior detergent, and you see it's beautiful, and it's white, and it's clean. Oh, what a picture of the blood of Jesus. There is no stain, there is no sin, there is no offense before God that is stronger or more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ, for he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Now, if that's not good enough, there is this concept in Scripture called the double cure. It's one thing, there's one degree of cure to say you're not responsible for these negatives. I'm going to choose to not hold you responsible for these sins and guilt and things you've done before God. We will forgive that. That's awesome. And that'd be good enough right there, right? But God does even more than that. The double cure is that he not only doesn't hold you responsible for the negative, he imputes into your spirit the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf we might become the righteousness of God in him. So now if you're in Christ, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. 
He sees the purity of Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's why, like Brandon, you said you can say, I have a new identity. I, I, my identity is not based upon what people say about me. My identity is not based upon what I have done before I got saved. And believer, your identity is not based on what you do as a believer. My identity is not in Pastor David Holt. My identity is not in having a doctorate. My identity is not in anything I do. My identity, your identity comes from who I am in Christ. What God says about you is what is most true about you. And when we believe that, when we accept that, when we walk in that and we realize that it's all because of the blood of Jesus, there's such freedom. There's such liberty. I love that song we sang today. I can come with my weaknesses. I can come with my struggles. I can come with my faults. I don't have to impress you. I don't have to perform to get God's love and acceptance because he accepts me in Christ based upon his precious blood. That's why Romans 5 and 9 says we are justified by his blood. That's why Colossians 1 and 20 says we have peace through his blood. That's why Revelation 1 and 5 says he has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's why Revelation 7 and 14 says he made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love that hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Number four, there's power in the blood because it's the blood that purchases us by God. Now, this is another interesting concept. Go to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is a cool verse because clearly this verse shows the deity of Christ. I believe you can even see the Trinity in this one verse. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained or purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church, his bride, with his own blood. God became a man in Jesus shed his divine blood, which was the only blood sufficient to pay for sins, God purchased his people, you and me, if you're in Christ, with his own blood. Why did he have to purchase us? Why do we need to be purchased or bought? What's the last thing that you bought? What'd you pay for it? It was a vehicle, house, clothes, shoes. Ticket to the Georgia game. You know, here's a, why did the, why did the athletic department charge $5 yesterday to go, go to the game? As if the athletic department needs money? Anyway, that's another story. Just thought that was interesting. I thought the tickets were free. Then I learned it's $5 to go to the G-Day game. Yeah, I guess they're really hurting for money. But to get something, you have to pay the price. Remember we've learned in our study of 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, that you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And I know this kind of freaks people out today. Sounds harsh. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says you're either a child of the devil or you're a child of God. Colossians 1.13 says when you get saved, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
So if you're not in Christ, if your sins are not forgiven by the blood of Jesus, then you are, the Bible says, a child of the devil. You're in Satan's kingdom. You're deserving of judgment. You're separated from God, not because he doesn't want you, but because you haven't received what he gave you. Oh, here's a good one. It's like a wedding invitation. You have to RSVP to go to that wedding. It's free. They don't require you to pay for it like the G-Day game yesterday. But, but sorry, I kind of just got that little thing in me about that. So it's a free wedding. It's, it's an invitation for you to come to the wedding. But in order for you to get in, you have to RSVP. You have to get a reservation. That's a great picture of salvation. It's free. It's paid for. It's available to you. It's coming to your email. It's coming to your text. It's been offered to you in numerous ways. It's being offered to you right now. But you must receive it. You must RSVP that free ticket. And if you don't, you remain in the kingdom of darkness. That's what Colossians 1.13 says. And so pretend that you're, I'm going to call it this, you're imprisoned in the orphanage of Satan. You're imprisoned by your sin in the orphanage of Satan. God created you to know him, have a relationship with him, and he sees that a purchase price is required to get you out of the orphanage of Satan and bring you into his family, and that purchase price is the blood of his son. God pays it. He pays the price for you to be bought out of the kingdom of darkness. And when you RSVP and receive the gift, you are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. You become a child of God. You become owned by him. You enter into covenant. Your sins are forgiven. You receive the Holy Spirit. You get a new nature. You're declared righteous by God. Folks, that's why this is called the good news. This is called the good news, the gospel purchased by God. Number five, and because of all of this, you now have confidence to come before God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10. What gives you and I confidence? The ability, the privilege to come before God, not only for salvation, but every day in prayer, every day in communion, Every day in relationship and fellowship with God. What, what gives you that confidence? And I'll tell you today that one of the biggest things that, that I see happening in many believers' lives is that they're, they're too focused on themselves. They're focused on their problems and their sins and their shortcomings. And because of that, the enemy uses that to shame them and condemn them and beat them up and say you're not worthy and you can't come to God. Hey, clean up your act. Then come to God. That is what the enemy would love to have you do. And then you begin to get caught up in that performance treadmill. I got to do more. I got to try to be better. Brandon talked about that. He was involved in that whole works thing. Try hard. Be a good Christian. Read my Bible more. Give more money. All of that. And it's, it's focusing on yourself. And it is a dead end street. Because we're going to learn from this passage that what gives you confidence to come to God is not what you do, but what has been done for you. Hebrews 10 and 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What gives you confidence, beloved? Your works, your goodness, your religion? No, the blood of Jesus. Do you realize that the people that Jesus had the hardest time with were religious people? 
I love to say to people when I'm sharing my faith, do you know that Jesus hates religion? And it, I mean, if you get that reaction, you know probably they're not saved. Because they think being saved and being a Christian is re being religious, doing religious things, putting on a front, acting a certain way. Jesus had the biggest problem with religious people because they were clean on the outside, but their heart was far from God. That's why he called them whitewashed tombs. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? You look good on the outside, but inside you're dead man's bones. Because they were religious and didn't have a relationship. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here watching online because it's Easter. And you're one of those CE Christians. Christmas and Easter. You know, it's like the pastor who said, well, since I won't see many of you next year, I'm just going to go ahead and wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here for whatever reason. Because that's what religion does. Religion checks the box. Religion jumps through hoops. Religion is all about external performance and doing stuff instead of a heart change. Folks, Christianity is not religious. It's a relationship. You give your heart to Jesus. You receive the free gift of salvation. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So as many as received him, they're in the orphanage of Satan. The price has been paid. The offer is being made. The knock is at the door. But you have to open the door. You have to receive him in your life. You have to put your trust and faith in Christ alone. And when you do that, the Bible says at that moment, you're born again. That was a phrase from Jesus. Jimmy Carter didn't make up that word. Jesus did. John 3. Unless a man is born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What he meant there is your spirit is dead in sin, but when you receive Christ, your spirit is made alive. You receive the Holy Spirit. Your sins are forgiven, and you become a new creation. You are literally born again. Your spirit is made alive. And here's what happens. God changes you from the inside out. This is the revelation that many don't get. They try to change themselves from the outside in by doing things. Instead of having that abiding living, growing relationship with Christ whereby the Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. He begins to change your desires. He begins to change your motive. He begins to give you power to overcome certain things. That's what Christianity is all about. All right, so speaking of which, we do have a battle. The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. There's the realm of God in heaven, there's the realm of people on earth, and there's this middle realm called the realm of angels and demons. Yes, spiritual warfare is real. So, I have good news for you. The sixth way in which there is power in the blood is the blood of Jesus helps us overcome Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What Jesus Christ did at the cross was he took away the upper hand from Satan. He gave victory over sin, over sickness, and over death, and over Satan. So because of that, the Bible says the believer, listen closely, has authority over demonic spirits. 
Now, there's a difference between having power over demonic spirits and having authority over demonic spirits. Let me explain. Listen closely. Satan and demons have more power than you without Christ. But Christ in you, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than he who's in the world. It's like a policeman. Does a policeman have the power to stop a car on his own? No. But because he has the uniform and the badge, he puts his hand up, cars stop because he has authority. This is why in Mark chapter 4, the Gadarene demoniac, he had the power to break chains. Demons in that young man gave him the ability to even break chains because Satan and demons are more powerful than you. But they're not more powerful than Christ in you. You see? So the police, they come to a door. They knock. They, or they, they, they don't have the power to crash through that door. But they answer, they show them a search warrant. They have authority to come in and search that house and do whatever they want. You and I, if you're in Christ, have been given authority over the powers of darkness. This is why James 4 and 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Listen, believer, don't give in to his temptations. Don't believe his lies. Don't let him bring condemnation to you. Stand in the victory that was won by Jesus when he shed his blood for you. Number seven. The blood of Jesus, there's power in the blood to bring healing. Now, I'm, I expect a little pushback here. Unfortunately, we don't have time for Q&A today, but you can email me questions. Because I know some of you are going to push back a little here, but I'm just going to show you what the Word of God teaches. I used to not believe this. I used to believe that the, the death of Christ only accomplished spiritual healing, which it does. But we're going to learn here that it also accomplishes physical and emotional healing. Does that mean that everyone can be healed if they just pray the right prayer? Of course not. But it does mean that when he died, he died not only for your sin, but your sicknesses. And healing is available under his sovereignty as we ask. So Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4. It means we should ask more than we do. It means that sometimes it doesn't come on earth, but it is certainly going to come in heaven. Praise God. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are what? Healed. So go back to verse 4. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Now go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. In Matthew 8, verse 16, there is a healing, or healings. And then this passage is quoted, saying that this is to fulfill what was written in that prophecy. Matthew 8, verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill, here it is, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In other words, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, he died not only for your sin, but also for your sicknesses. Meaning that he is not only willing to forgive your sin and declare you righteous in his sight, but he also 
wants to do a great deep work of sanctification that involves physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. Now it begs the question, does that mean that we can be healed of everything on earth? Of course not. But it does mean that what we're not healed of on earth, we know we'll be healed in heaven. And that leads to our final point. The blood of Jesus, there's power in the blood because it guarantees us eternal life. That as Christ rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that all believers will rise. You'll get a new body. You'll get a body that's free from sin, sickness, disease, and Satan. Hallelujah. You'll get a new body that will never die. You'll get a new body that is perfect. In other words, we come full circle today. We go right back to the love of God. He loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you that lasts forever and ever and ever. So much so that he created a place called heaven where it will be devoid of any sin, sickness, disease, Satan, and death. And you and I, if you're in Christ, will dwell with him forever. You'll have this relationship with God that never ends and is never disrupted. Hallelujah. So let's review what we've seen today. Why is there power in the blood? Because it demonstrates firsthand, tangibly, at the cross, the incredible love of God. It seals that new covenant. He cleanses us from all our sin. He purchases us. He gives us confidence every day to come to him in prayer. It gives us authority over Satan. It brings healing. And it guarantees eternal life. Folks, this is good news. <laughs> this is because there's power in the blood and because Christ died and rose again for you and me. So where are you at today? Do you have that relationship? Have you received him? If not, you can receive him today. Just invite him in your life. Open that door. He's been knocking on your door for years and you know it. You're in this room or you're watching online because another way in which God is knocking on your door. He's waiting for you to open that door. Some of you may know for sure that you have received Christ, but you have not been living for him, and you know it. You have been drifting. You have been sliding back. You've allowed other things in your life to replace Jesus. There's areas of your life right now that you know displease God. Holy Spirit's revealing that to you right now. Satan is saying, well, that, that disqualifies you. No. God says, if you'll bring that to me, I'll forgive you, I'll cleanse you, and we'll get right back to where we were. That's the beauty of the good news. That's the story of the prodigal son. What did the father do when the son came back? He welcomed him, didn't even let him get out his full confession before he came with him with incredible forgiveness, and he said, we're going to have a party because this son of mine that was lost has now been found. And that's the good news of God's amazing grace. So which of these, maybe, which one of these do you most need to kind of grab hold of today? What's God saying to you? Let's pray together. Worship team, if you'd come up, please. Prayer team, if you would go ahead and begin to take your places. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word today. It's full of truth, and your word says the truth is what sets us free. So now, Lord, I just speak freedom over this body today. I speak salvation. I speak freedom. I speak healing. I speak victory. Oh, Father, that we would respond now to your word with repentance, with faith, 
opening our hearts to you. I want to encourage you right now. Some of you need to receive Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I open the door. I receive you. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Just begin to cry out to God. Open that door. Receive him. He takes you right where you're at. He takes you right where you're at. If you need prayer from somebody, I want you to get up right now and just go to one of these people. We could, we could use a few more people on the prayer team if there's others available. Front steps are available to serve as an altar today if you want to just come and pray alone at the front. Go to somebody for prayer. encourage you right now just to begin to give prayer if you need it. Maybe you need prayer for healing. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Healing is awaiting some of you if you'll just ask. Some of you may be under demonic oppression. Go to somebody. Get prayer. Let them pray over you. Bind those spirits. Give you greater freedom. Maybe you just need to fresh revelation of his love. Have somebody pray for you for that. There may be a need that's just heavy on your heart. Go to somebody on the prayer team. Go to somebody you may know in the room. Let this be a time of prayer, calling out to God, seeking him with our hearts, responding to his amazing truths. Let's quietly stand stand to our feet you respond as you need it get prayer come to the front beloved don't let there be any unfinished business today father I pray today for those who are struggling they know they need to do something they know they need to surrender or yield and they're holding back there's fear I bind that up in Jesus name Holy Spirit, we just ask you to be mighty, freely moving among us. That there would be people receiving Christ, repenting of sin, getting set free, getting healing, getting prayer. Lord, we thank you. We praise you that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you love us individually. Oh, Lord, have your will and way.
His face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord, turn His face toward you and give you peace.
Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He is for you. He loves you. Paid the ultimate price for you to know him and walk with him. I'll tell you something, men, one of the greatest ways to impact the generations we just sang about is to be a part of the wholehearted advance. Less than two weeks from today, if you've not registered, register this week. These cards are out in the lobby. Women, we have a survey for you. You receive that through the weekly email. I encourage you to fill that out. But if you need a paper copy, these are in the lobby. Chance for you to give input into our women's ministry. Free copies of The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, available in the lobby. If today you made a significant decision or you received Christ, especially those of you online, go to our app under register. You can let us know that you received Christ want to meet with somebody. I'll be down front afterwards. If you're new to Living Hope and I haven't met you, would love to meet you. Also at the welcome station for guests, we have a free gift for you there. One more thing, college students, as you prepare to go for the summer, if you would go to our app under register, you'll see a section there where you can give us your summer information so that we can stay in touch with you throughout the summer. 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He is risen. Have a great day. You're dismissed.